Let's turn in our Bibles over to 2 Timothy, if you would, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we left off last week. Actually, we began there and covering the passage, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the first few verses. And it says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then there's a list of things. And we covered them in, in somewhat detail last week. There's quite a few things listed here. And we see those very things in the days in which we live. Now we are in the last days. I think if I could put it to you this way, I believe we're in the last of the last days because the last days covers a very large span of time. But I think we are in the last of the last days. And it says this and also then the last day, perilous, dangerous, fierce times will come. And of course, we're seeing that. We're even starting to see some of that in our nation. Uh, It is amazing to me that in our country, which is the land of free speech, whether you agree or disagree with the president, that's not the issue. The issue is this, what I'm talking about here is free speech, okay? But the issue is this. We have come into an era of uh, a rage and insanity in our country when you get to the point to where if somebody wears a cap that says, make America great again. Now, who would ever think that that would provoke anger? Make America great again. That that person, their life all of a sudden becomes in danger because they're wearing that cap. Now, I understand there's a connection between the hat and President Trump and all that, but uh, don't we all want to make America great again? I think we all do. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great statement. And yet at the same time, now you take your life into your hands. I'll be honest with you, I would never wear one simply because I don't think it's worth having my life endangered over wearing a cap, do you? But that's me, maybe. Maybe you think, yeah, I don't mind. I'm gonna do it and anybody challenges me, I'm gonna punch their lights out. Well, that's part of the problem. But let me, let me you're, you're just like them then. Let me just say this. Punching a person's lights out, uh, I don't know if you're really going to solve anything, even if you do it in quote-unquote Christian love. Um, Now, I'm for defending myself, okay? I'm for defending myself, but you know what, folks? Listen, uh, wisdom says this. I will pick my battles, okay? And for me, that's not worth picking a battle over, okay? Souls, yes. The gospel, Yes, eternal security, yes. Yeah, those are battles. But whether I'm going to wear a cap or not. But it is a problem because we do live in a country where you should be able to express yourself without persecution and certainly without getting beat up. But you see, we are living in dangerous times. We're living in fierce times. And of course, what we are going through here in America is nothing compared to some parts of the country where Christians are being really, truly persecuted. And many of them are being beaten. And many of them are losing their lives and their families, by the way, simply because they identify themselves as Christians. It's a very sad state of affairs that we're in. But here's the question for those of us who are believers. Well, really for all people, but we're talking to mainly Christians. Does God want us to live in fear? Well, the answer to that is no, he does not want us to. 
No matter what the future holds, we can face it with confidence if we apply these truths that we are covering in this series. Confident living in perilous times. How do we get to where we can confidently live? And when I, when I say that, folks, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, you could, you, could, uh, you could be an alcoholic and think you're confidently living, but you're just deceived, okay? Because if you quit that, you're going to see all the problems that you have, being on drugs and so on and so forth. That's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about, though, is from a biblical perspective, the way God made us and what he wants for us, how can we live confidently? Well, what are the truths that we need to take heed of? The first one we covered last week, but let me cover it briefly today. The first one is this, salvation. Salvation. There is nothing you or I could face more important than this issue of salvation. Where are you going when you die? Because the truth of it is, whether you die because you wore a cap that said something somebody doesn't like, or whether you die simply of quote-unquote natural causes, here's the truth. After this life is forever. And you're either going to spend forever in one of two places. You're either going to be forever with God or you're going to be forever separated from God in hell. With God, you'll spend forever with him in heaven and in eternity. Without God, you will suffer forever. Never a chance of undoing that. You know, if I was to ask you, well, which one do you choose? Now, you know, we've got a lot of smug people walking around nowadays, and they say, well, it doesn't matter to me because I don't believe in God. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in hell. Okay? What an ignorant position to take. Let me tell you something, friend. You better investigate this, because if you write this off as religious gobbledygook and you die, you're going to find you're going to find out something very different, but it'll be too late. Here's the truth of it. There is life after death. Well, how do you know that? Jesus came back from the dead. It is a proven fact that he literally did time, space, history. He was a real person who lived a real life, who died a real death, who came back to earth or came back from the dead in a real body. And because he lives, we can live. There is life after death, and he offers eternal life to those who would trust him as Savior. And so look at John chapter 3 with me in verse 18. John chapter 3 in, in verse 18. Now we know verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But now look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. So here's the point. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ that when he died on the cross, he paid for all your sins and rose from the grave? Have you trusted in him and him alone as your way to heaven? Have you trusted him as your Savior? If you have, here's the promise. He that believeth on him is not condemned. You're not condemned. In contrast, though, look what it says. But he that believeth not is condemned. You notice it doesn't say will be condemned. You are condemned already. And there's a reason for that. Because, look at it, he hath not believed 
in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Literally, the Bible teaches the difference between heaven and hell is whether you have believed or trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not based on your works. It's not based on your faithfulness. As a matter of fact, if you would look with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it becomes abundantly clear that we're not saved by our good works, by our promises, by self-reformation, by trying to keep commandments, by any kind of good works, and not by sacraments, not by ordinances, but by what Jesus Christ did on the cross and that alone. It says in Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved. Grace, God's unmerited favor, are you saved through faith, Faith. Faith in who? Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, verse 9, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Our good works have no part in saving us. Our good works have no part in keeping us saved. It's only through what Christ did on the cross that we can have eternal life. And so here's the point. You might say, well, I I think I need to be good to go to heaven. Well, how good? Well, pretty good. Uh, Let me guess, as as good as you are, right? (laughs) Friend, here's the point. To go to heaven, you have to be perfect. See, we're sinners. Here we are, we're sinners, this is sin. God loves us, he hates our sin, but to get to heaven, you have to be sinless. Are you sinless? Well, no. Well, then you're not going to heaven. You're not going. Your sin has to be paid for. Well, the Bible's very clear. Your good works won't take it away. So what do you have to fall back on? What are you going to trust? What are you depending on? Well, I try to follow the Lord every day. That has to do with the way you live, right? Well, yeah, it has to do with the way I live. Those are good works. The Bible says it's not of works. Notice it? Not of works. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Whoa! God's the one who says that. If you've got to be perfect to get into heaven and you're not, you are condemned already. But that is why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He came into this world when he went to the cross. He made the complete payment for your sins so you don't have to. He did it for you. He was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says, I've paid for all your sins. If you trust in me that I did that for you, I will give you as a gift everlasting life. Everlasting. The moment you believe, you have it. You're not condemned. Okay, if it's everlasting life, that means that lasts forever. So once you have it, you're saved forever. Saved forever. Now, I'd say, well, I don't know. I gotta think about this. Listen, friend. John 3.18 says you are already condemned. You don't know when you're gonna die. You could die at any moment. And if you die not having trusted Christ the Savior, you'll be lost forever. Well, you're trying to scare me. Well, let me tell you this. If you are an unbeliever, you should be afraid of dying. You should be afraid of dying. Lost people who are not afraid to die are people who have been deceived by Satan and his demons. That's the truth of it. I'm being very straightforward with you. However, if you've trusted Christ the Savior, believers are eternally secure, and so that even if you were to die unexpectedly, you immediately go into the presence of God forever. 
Now that gives me confidence to live. It, you know, I could go at any time, but I know where I'm going because I've trusted Christ. I know I'm, I have eternal life. Now, if this is true for the believer, and it is, then why should we still fear? The Lord wants us to live confidently on our way to heaven, okay? Each and every day, I trusted Christ as Savior in 1972, and God says, listen, you have eternal life. You got a home waiting for you. I'm your Savior. I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. You have heaven as a present possession, so whenever you die, you're going to live with me. My response to that should be, man, that is the best. That is great. I'm going to live. I'm not afraid of dying. Oh, I, I may have some fears of the process, depending on what it is. But I'm not afraid of dying. It's a transition from this to the next. Now, the Lord wants us to live confidently as we are on our way to heaven, but we need to learn to do some things. And, and once you're saved, this one, I really want you to get a handle on this today, and it is this, how to walk by faith. How to walk by faith. This is not religious jargon. A lot of people will talk about it, well, you know what, the Christian life is a, is a, is a life of faith. We need to walk by faith. They never define it. They never explain it. They just say it. And I'm afraid that a lot of Christians, because they're afraid of asking a question, I don't understand that because they don't want to appear ignorant about these issues, they never learn what it means. But friend, if we as Christians do not learn how to walk by faith, we will never be able to live confidently in the days we're at. We are going to live defeated lives we're going to be discouraged. We're not going to be effective for the Lord. So this is paramount. How to walk by faith. The days in which we live can be frightening, even for Christians, but God has an antidote for that. See, here's it. When we start being afraid of the world in which we live, we have lost sight of who God is. We've lost sight. We think the world is out of his control. No, the world is not out of his control. And we also forget his promises. And so this issue of who God is and the promises he's given us are key to us understanding what it means to walk by faith. Again, 2 Timothy 1, turn there with me. 2 Timothy 1. See, here's how God sees how life should be for you and me. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power love, and a sound mind. That means we think right, okay? God has not given us a spirit of fear. The word fear here can be translated as timidity. Timidity, okay? It's kind of the opposite of confidence. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, what does it mean to walk by faith? Well, I think there are two issues that define what it means to walk by faith. Number one is this, it is trusting in the Lord himself. Now, to walk, you know what walking is, okay? But I'll just define it. When the Bible talks about walking, it's not talking about my preferred mode of exercise, which is walking. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the way you live your life, okay? But 
just step back and think about the physical issue of walking. What is walking, okay? I'm going from here to there, whatever there is. And so walking would be, I take one step after another, after another, after another in the same direction. That's what walking is. Walking is one step in the same direction, one after another. So what does it mean to walk by faith? It is trusting in the Lord himself. When we lose sight of who God is, we can become fearful. We must trust in him. And this is an important part of our relationship with him. Now, prayer is a big part of this. But when I talk about prayer, I am not just talking about going through each day maybe a prayer list of people or things or situations that you pray for. Listen, nothing wrong with that. I believe in that. There's, that's fine. But I'm afraid some Christians, what they do is, is they may have that and they may do that and then the rest of the day, they're not communing with God the way he wants. No, when the Bible talks about pray without ceasing... It's a mentality, it's, it's, a, it's a state having to do with the way we walk, the way we live our lives by faith, looking to the Lord, communing with him all day long, all right? We are talking about a daily moment by moment talking to the Lord and leaning on him. It is communing with him during the day. This is the way I love to pray. I love to pray all day long. I can be anywhere, I can be in the, in, in the grocery store, Okay, I can be driving here in St. Cloud. By the way, you need to be praying when you're driving in St. Cloud, <laughs> especially in the roundabouts. You know, by the way, you know, we think, okay, St. Cloud's cursed. We've got all these roundabouts. They're building them all over the country, even in Florida. Let's move on. Here's the point. Friend, we need to be praying. Okay, you out mowing the yard, you ought to be talking to the Lord. Doing gardening, you ought to be talking to the Lord. Shopping, you ought to be talking to the Lord. Driving, talking to the Lord. Taking a shower, talking to the Lord. Why not? Sitting quietly, yes, talking to the Lord. Reading the word of God, talking to the Lord. See, this is, it's a lifestyle. Prayer is a lot more than three times a day before you sit down to eat, thanking God for the food. And that's great, and we ought to be doing that, by the way, But here's the point. If we are consciously talking to the Lord, you know what we are doing? We are walking by faith at that moment because we're looking to him. We're coming to him. We are depending upon him. That's all part of this, and it's a very important part. And I'll tell you what, if you say, well, you know what, I don't have a very good prayer life. Friend, you start talking to the Lord all day long. And it's going to go a whole lot better. Proverbs chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? Proverbs 3. This issue of trusting in the Lord himself. Trusting in the Lord himself. Listen, if we know enough to trust in him to get us to heaven, save us forever from hell, if we can do that, why can't we trust him with all the little details in life? I remember as a freshman in Bible college, our, our Bible college president. You know, uh, Bible college students are notoriously poor people. I mean, they really are. Most of them, not all of them, but most of them are. They go day to day, you know, they, they're kind of, what do they eat? They're scavengers. They eat whatever they can find. Okay. 
Now, listen, let me qualify that. Not roadkill, okay? Hopefully none of them eat roadkill. But honestly, I mean, you just, you know, for a college kid, I mean, you say, here's some free food. It's like, the last question is, what is it? They may ask that as they're getting close to where the food is, but probably not even that. They'll just, they'll be glad to take it, okay? But here's the point. I can remember him telling us this. He says, listen, listen, students. If you can trust God for your eternal salvation, you can certainly trust him for a hamburger, right? See, why is it we're fine with trusting him to keep us out of hell forever, but we sweat when it comes to the little things in life, the things we face. No, he wants us to trust him all the time. Proverbs 3, 5, you know this verse. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And look at the next part. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Human reasoning, that's what gets us in trouble. In all thy ways, acknowledge him. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In other words, as we walk through life, we should be acknowledging the Lord, talking to him, going to him. That's what, depending upon him, that's what it means to walk by faith. That's what it means. Isaiah 41.10, one of my favorite verses. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed out of sorts. For I am thy God, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. His right hand is the place of honor, place of power. Now this issue of walking by faith, I want you to listen carefully now, because I'm, I'm going into something for just a few minutes, I feel it's very important to address a false doctrine that is permeating, starting to permeate, much of the quote-unquote church today. And you see it in all kinds of books. Walking by faith is not a mystical idea as some would have you believe. Walking by faith is not faith in faith like a lot of your prosperity teachers teach. It is not the contemplative prayer movement either. Let me say this. Walking by faith is not the contemplative prayer movement that is going on today. Those who are involved in that, in their view, listen carefully, the experience you have takes precedent over the word of God or is at least put on the same level as scripture. This is incredibly dangerous. Dangerous. These are the people who are saying things such as, well, you know, God is speaking to me on a daily basis. God is speaking. Oh, well, what do you mean? You, you just get some you know, thoughts or you're reading the scriptures and some ideas come to you? No, he's speaking. I talk to him, he talks to me. All right? Uh, let me tell you, friend, you are on dangerous ground. You might say, well, you don't know how to do that. No, I don't. Well, what you do is you, you, you center, you focus on a certain word or concept when you pray and then you start praying you just keep to and and they'll even tell you okay now they borrow this from eastern mysticism this is but this has crept into the church today and because of it there's all kinds of false doctrines being birthed by these people here's what one website said and it's very true quote contemplative spirituality also encourages the pursuit of a mystical experience with God mysticism is the belief that knowledge of God spiritual truth and ultimate reality can be gained through subjective 
experience. This emphasis on experiential knowledge erodes the authority of Scripture. And that is exactly what it does. Let me tell you, friend, it is no different than the cults. No different than the cults. Because what the cults do is there's the Bible, and then they say, no, this book that we have is on equal authority with the Word of God. Whereas the contemplative theology, and by the way, the emergent church is is into this, the contemplative theology goes this way. Well, yeah, there's the Word of God, but my experience is on equal plane with the Scripture. Yeah, I believe in, in Scripture and all that, but my experience too, okay? There's a problem though. Many times those experiences, the things they're coming up with, don't line up with Scripture. And here's what they say. Well, it must be of God because I asked him to tell me. Okay? Now, friend, that's just naive. That's just naive. And I'm not going to get into names this morning, but I could name you some quote-unquote high-profile Christians today who are teaching this, and because these people have become very high-profile, people are swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. I use hook, line, and sinker because we're going to family camp. Very dangerous, very dangerous. The word of God stands supreme. Listen, we as Christians, we proclaim, no, the Bible is our standard for faith and practice. And then we get into this stuff where God is speaking. Okay? Well, I got this from God. So what you're saying is what, you're, what you got from God is inspired. It's on the same plane as scripture. Well, I got it from God. You better watch out. Be careful. You measure everything by this book. Everything. Okay? And if it's contrary to the Bible, you know, I've been told by people before, well, you know, uh, listen, I've been in much prayer over this. I've really been praying about this. God told me to divorce my spouse. God did not tell you to divorce your spouse. He did not tell you that. Psalm 56.3, the psalmist says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Look at it with me, Psalm 56.3 and 4. Verse 4 in particular, I want you to see this because we're building a bridge here from trusting in the Lord himself to the second part of what it means to walk by faith. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee, talking about God, verse 4, in God I will praise, what? His word, in God I have put my trust, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. You notice we're trusting the Lord, what else are we trusting? We're trusting the scriptures. See, there is something that makes walking by faith even more practical, Something that we can, it's not, it's not mystical, okay? It's not just kind of out there and we just have to try to imagine it. No, 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 no. There's something a lot more, if I can use the word concrete, that we have. Not in conflict with the first one, trusting in the Lord, but going hand in hand with it, completely inseparable, and it is this. It is trusting in his word. Trusting in his word. I cannot overemphasize this. It is trusting in his word. It is trusting in his word. It is trusting in his word. Okay? 
The greatest possession in all this world that you can put your hands on, material possession, is this book. It is the word of God, okay? This is in contrast to trusting in anything else. When we trust in the word, we are trusting in the Lord. When we trust in the word, we are trusting in the Lord, okay? I say, why do you keep repeating yourself? Because we need to get this down, folks. Look with me to Proverbs chapter 30. And I could show you on this point, I could show you scripture after scripture after scripture. Proverbs chapter 30. I say, well, pastor, haven't you ever had times when it seemed like God spoke to you? Well, not in an audible voice. Could he do it? He could do it if he wanted. You can't put God in a box. But you see, the moment you say he could do it if he wanted People just run wild with that. They run wild with it. We need to be honest about these things. Have I been prayed, have I meditated on the word of God? By the way, have I meditated on the word of God? Have I prayed? Yes. Have I sought God's will in things? Yes. Have at times certain thoughts come into your mind and you thought, that's, the, that's it. That's the answer. Yes, yes. Well, that's God speaking to you. Well, you can call it that if you want, but here's the thing. It's all predicated on what the Bible says. I can think of a certain time in my life we were going through a tremendous trial here in our church and I was praying and praying and I did it. I was agonizing for weeks over this situation. It seemed like a no-win situation. We had two parties in conflict with each other. I believe both parties were lying. How do you figure that one out? You're not God. False accusations. It was splitting the church. And so I sought God's face, I sought God's face. I can remember sitting at home and on a Monday and looking out, looking out the window with my reading my Bible and praying to the Lord and all this. But here's what came to mind. It wasn't some voice saying something that I didn't recognize. It was the Holy Spirit bringing to my memory, my remembrance, a passage of scripture. That's how he speaks. The Holy, we just covered that, didn't we? About the Holy Ministry of the Holy Spirit last week. He brings to mind the scripture. And I and I and I and I went to the passage and I looked at it and I said, it's the key. That's it. Immediate freedom. I knew that was the path. That's what we were going to pursue. Why? You can't lose because it's the word of God. You can make a mistake otherwise, though. If you're relying on a mystical experience instead of scripture, trusting in his word, trusting in his word, okay? Proverbs 30, verse five, every word of God is pure. Boy, don't you love that? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. It says every word of God is pure, and then it says he is a shield, That doesn't make sense to me. Oh, it makes total sense. If it's the word of God, it's God speaking. Okay? You don't separate the two. God breathed the scriptures to us. They are the inspired word of God. They're not inspired like Shakespeare. They're inspired meaning literally God breathed them out. God gave to the writers of scripture the very words he wanted in this book. And therefore, if God is the one who gave the words and they without error recorded those words, it is, let me put it this way, it may not sound like good English, it's the words of God. 
It's the words of God. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them to put their trust in him. The word of God points us to him who gave us the word. And when we trust in the word of God, we are trusting in the God of the word. This is the way it is. Psalm 1830, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. Look at that. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler, a shield to all those that trust in him. Do you see the inseparable link between the scriptures and God himself? It is inseparable. Listen, that is worth fighting for, folks, the inspiration of the scriptures, okay? That this book is, in fact, the word of God. It doesn't just contain the word of God. It is the word of God, okay? Now, listen, here's where I'm going with this. The Bible contains thousands of promises written down in black and white. You can read it. They're there, okay? You have something sure and solid, not dependent on your emotions or your ideas. The Bible is something called, one of the names of the Bible is called the canon of Scripture. What does that mean? That you use it to blast people? No. It's the canon of Scripture. What it means is this, the word canon, C-A-N-O-N, means the standard by which all other things are measured. The Bible is that. It is what we measure everything by. This is the word of God. The author of the Bible is perfect. The author of the Bible cannot lie. It isn't that he chooses not to. He can't by nature. You ever run into these people and say, well, you believe God can do everything, right? Have you ever, they're setting you up. Well, you're a Christian. You believe God can do anything, right? You know, they're shocked when I say, no, I don't believe God can do anything. What do you mean? Don't you believe God is God? Yeah. Don't you believe he can do anything? I said, no. Well, explain that to me. Oh, I'm glad you asked. He can't do anything that violates his nature. Because if he did, that would be sin, and God can't sin. And no, folks... Here's another one. They, oh, they love this. Smug people way back. Um, there are probably some that still use this. God can do anything, right? Now they're waiting for you to say yes. Can he create a rock so heavy that he can't pick it up? Come on. Friend, come on. No. He can't do that. Well, then he's not God. Oh, he's God. See, God can't do stupid things. We can. He cannot, because he's all wise, all wise. And by the way, one of the reasons we can so trust the Lord is because he is immutable. That means he's never changing. Isn't that wonderful? You know what's so great about that? He's never changing. What's so wonderful? You might say, well, how is that? He's God. He doesn't need to change. He's perfection, always. Boy, that's the kind of person I want to trust. I want to go to for answers. So, the author is perfect and cannot lie. His promises are to be claimed and acted upon. When we apply the word of God and we see the outcome that God said would come, it produces faith 
and confidence in our lives. God says, try me, test me, go ahead. And when we do and we see him come through and he's true to his word, that builds our confidence and builds our faith to where we can live the kind of life he wants us to. Timothy says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God, it would apply to women as well is what I'm saying, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God completes us. He makes us what he wants us to be. But you notice it's not through a mystical experience of waiting for special messages from God. He's already given us a special message. It's called the Bible. This is what changes us. This is what makes us what God wants us to be. One more passage, Romans chapter 10. Turn there with me. There's a very powerful statement here in Romans chapter 10. Now let me say, I know, the context here is talking about salvation, getting saved, I understand that. It's only when we hear the gospel that we can believe the gospel, I understand that. And when we hear the gospel, faith comes. Romans 10, 17, so then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But can I tell you this, dear Christian friend? That's true for salvation, but it's also true for you and me. See, here's the truth of it. When you are fearful, when I am fearful, when I am discouraged, when I am down, when I am, uh, feel broken, when, when I'm, whatever the situation is in life, I have found this for me. As a matter of fact, I, I think so highly of this book that honestly, now listen, I know the answer's within the word of God, but there is just something special where, where I'm having a hard time, if I can even just get my hands on this. My mind thinks you've got hope in your hands. You've got the answer here. You've got the way out. You've got the solution. It's here. That's how he wants us to think. And then when we open it up and we start reading it, now let me ask you this this morning. How many of you at a time of discouragement or sadness or, or whatever, you have gone to the word of God and you have found comfort and strength there. Raise your hand. Look at the hand. Look around you. Look. Go ahead and look. Almost everybody here. It's marvelous. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you know, you immerse yourself, especially in the, in, in the, anywhere in scripture, but especially in the Psalms. Oh, God gave us that, the comfort be a healing balm in our lives. And you go to the Psalms and you read, and I, you know, when people are down or discouraged and all that, listen, I don't mean it in a flippant way. If I said, would you, I don't say, well, just read your Bible. Just read your Bible. No, friend, let God speak to you and remind you of how he is, what he offers, what he's gonna do for you, and listen, it's gonna be okay. But we need to be reminded. We need to trust in him. We need to trust in his word. And these are keys. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Boy, that's powerful. That's powerful. How much confidence do you have in this? Okay? You don't need to go looking around. You don't need to read a bunch of books. 
okay? I'm not against other books as long as they're biblical. This is, listen, but, but here's the thing. Okay, here's this Christian book. There's this book, there's that book, all these different, that's, it's fine, it's fine, okay? I'm not against authors, but here's the point. If it's a sound book, where are they getting their foundation from? Go to the source. Start, let's start here, okay? Now, if you're here today, you've never understood what Christ has done for you, you've never trusted him as savior, friend, we're sinners. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus came, went to the cross, paid for all of our sins. He made the payment we owe. He did it for us. He died as a substitute. And he rose from the grave. And he says, if you will trust in him, he will give you everlasting life today. You become a child of God. And that's the biggest issue that a person ever faces in life. So trust in him. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.